Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hello and welcome to the Five Yard Dynasty podcast with me, Rich Cooling. Um, told you we had a, a very big show lined up for the wide receiver preview. Um, today I'm delighted to be uh, joined by, to be honest, one, one of the most positive men I think I've ever had the delight of, uh, of having any interaction with, and, and let's be honest, one of the best followers on Twitter. So that's Mike, um, or as most of you all know, know him at Daddy's Home FF. So how are you doing, Mike? What's up, Rich? How are you doing, buddy? Very good, thank you. Very good. Absolutely delighted to, to have you on. Very excited for this one. Well, I told you I've had this circle on my calendar. I think, what did we talk about this about a month ago? Uh, and I've been looking forward to, to this show. Uh, I'll admit, like, it took a little more studying than most because I wasn't quite up on the rookie class the way I wanted to. So it was a nice uh, little kick in the behind also to get the ball rolling on the rookie class this year. So, Yeah, absolutely. Same for me. I think this was – I had these – been doing the rookie previews for each position. It was, yeah, as you said, the kick in the, the backside to get me uh, to get me motivated to, to break down film and, and work through all the guys so I could – you know, get the, the top guys to talk through. So um, so today I think we're going to talk through sort of the top 10, 11 receivers um, in this class. But I mean, before we dive into it, Mark, what, what, what do you think about kind of the class as a whole? Obviously, we had a pretty phenomenal class last year. Do you think mm-hmm. this could potentially stack up to that? 
No, no, I, I don't. I don't actually like this class this year, to be honest. So when we look at it overall, this is a very quarterback heavy draft. So in Superflex, obviously, I like having one of those top five picks, especially seeing what Trey, Trey Lance did today in his pro day look like a stud. Very exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Not much to like on the running back side, so I'm happy you got Matt to do that instead of me because it would have been a pretty <laughs> big uh, downer. I'm sure he talked up Michael Carter for three hours, but uh, not really my style. In, in this wide receiver class, talented but flawed is the best way that I would put it. I, I am very much team big wide receiver. Uh, <laughs> give me A.J. Brown. Give me D.K. Metcalf. You know, Give me the guys who are going to go up and get it. So what we're looking at here is a lot of guys who project more to be slot receivers. And everyone thinks they're getting the next Tyree kill. And, and honestly, that there's only one Tyree kill. There, there's only one player who has that level of skill set. And I think, unfortunately, there's only about a, you know, a handful of offenses that know how to use those types of players. And the best spot was taken up last year by Brandon Ayuk, obviously, having a player of that style uh, that you're going to move around the field was a great fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense and for San Francisco. And when you look at, you know, teams like, for example, Ruggs landing in Vegas, possibly the worst fit for him in a John Gruden style offense. So with this class, what I'm most concerned about is that I have no doubt in the talent but it's not a lot of straightforward usage. It's not a lot of guys that you line up those six, three, go get it guys. And obviously we'll talk about the top of the class. You have, you know, a couple of those there, but when we get to that middle group and you and I are, have a few guys that we're really interested in seeing where they go. I, I just can't remember a class that was so landing spot dependent and not because of their talent. Obviously we made that mistake with AJ Brown devaluing him when we went to the Titans it's going to be their usage. So many of these guys have made their living behind or at the line of scrimmage as opposed to your standard in cuts, out cuts, posts. So it's going to be a whole different style than what we're used to. And this year has been so crazy that doing the evaluations is different. Obviously teams have been hit by COVID. You didn't have a mini camp, you know, so it's, it's going to be a difficult year, but I think it's going to be fun because if you hit it, you could strike gold, but I, I think this is going to be a, a disappointing class for a lot of people who are maybe just looking at analytics, who aren't really looking at the film, who aren't going back a year. And like we've talked about, we'll have a few guys that we discussed that opted out. So you have to project up what would have happened this year, even though they didn't play. So it's going to be an interesting class, but I'll be honest, I'm not as amped about it as a lot of people seem to be. And I'm doing a lot more trading out for maybe some rookies that didn't hit last year as opposed to keeping a lot of my mid picks this year. So the film didn't change a lot for me. Like I said, we picked up on the study, but I think maybe this conversation hopefully will open my eyes to a couple of guys that maybe I wasn't as amped about and see if maybe that brings a little more enthusiasm. Yeah, I think I think you hit on probably the note that I've felt throughout this. I've never known a class where the the kind of top of guys that are being talked about as potentially fringe first rounders, there's so many short receivers. You know, we normally talk about most first round receivers being around that six foot plus. You know, you talked about that sort of six three prototype. Whereas there's four or five guys that are perhaps fringe first round talent that are shorter than six foot. And it's just, I can't remember a class quite like it in certainly in the last sort of four or five years. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's just not what people have been looking for. And honestly, what you're getting here is you're getting a ton of production, but against what competition? And is it going to play 
in the NFL. And that's kind of what we have to figure out tonight and give people some guidance on, because I think everybody wants to know that. Like, I think when, when you watch some of these guys, you can clearly see the route running is, is spectacular. The burst is outstanding. What they do when they get the ball in their hands in space is phenomenal. But what are you going to do contested catch wise? What are you going to do when you're dealing with press coverage against a cornerback who is arguably just as fast, if not faster than you are? How are you going to play in that mode where you're lining up regularly against somebody who's just as fast as you and four inches taller? Normally we're looking for that inverse. Uh, so this is going to be interesting because you're not going to have the physical advantages that you're used to. Like I think when you looked at, like we said, Brown and Metcalf, it was pretty obvious that those guys were going to be able to bully people in the NFL. They were bigger. They were stronger. They were this new age athlete, these monstrous human beings that could still run those four, three, four, four forties. That's what we've been so accustomed to. And honestly, that's what we've been getting spoiled by in the past few classes. And, and now we have this class and yeah, I, I think honestly, I, I think this is going to be, a draft where I'm going to rely a lot on the people that I get my information with and, and what they're seeing, because I'm going to have to make some picks. And right now I'm just kind of on the fence with a lot of guys. You'll see these tiers kind of get pretty dang close together as we go. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess we'll, we'll dive straight in. So what we're going to do is we're going to work through kind of my top 11. Um, yep. There's a few that we differ on Mike, but um, we, we can dive into that later. But, for me, the you know the, the guy at the top of the class, in terms of my gradings, he's the highest rated receiver I've had across the last three draft classes, um, and that is Jamar Chase. So, I guess what do you think of him? Where, where does he kind of sit for you? Yeah, Jamar Chase is the only true alpha that I see in this class, and I think he slots him as a wide receiver one right out of the gate. The biggest thing that I see with Chase as opposed to the others, um, you know, regardless of the prototype size that we can talk about, he is one of those six feet wide receivers. But what Chase does, the way that he lowers his hips, the way he has this body control, he can stop and start at full speed like I haven't seen in, in years, to be quite honest. The way that he will stop on a dime, change direction. The hardest thing about playing cornerback is you're racing to a finish line where you don't know where it is and the wide receiver does. And what Chase does is he changes the tempo of the route and he stops and starts in a way that is fascinating to me. His body control on those deep throws, the way that he can catch the back shoulder fade, like I don't see a lot of holes in his game. I just think he is the one that stands out far and away. And for me, he drops in at my wide receiver 15's landing spot unseen right now for Dynasty. I, I think he's that talented. I think you hit on it. Is he my top guy? I'm maybe not quite as high as you are over the past three years, but for this year, I think there is a number one with the bullet, and that's Jamar Chase. I don't think there's anyone necessarily close to him this year. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want people thinking that he's he's my number one at the moment across the last three years. I'm not taking him over Justin Jefferson at the moment. I'm saying as a as a um, a prospect coming out, he's got a higher grade in terms of film and analytics across the last three years. For me, I think he you know you touched on it there. He can win on every single element of the route, every single level of the field. I think the thing for me that is most impressive, it's such a, a ridiculous thing to talk about, but his hip flexibility as a receiver is phenomenal. His ability to, 
you talked about it, those, those subtle kind of footworks, but also his ability to change direction without losing speed and to manipulate the corner because he's got this incredible hip flexibility that allows him to go up and make those catches as well. It's such a subtle thing, but it makes such a big success in terms of him winning at all those points. You know, he can win early, he can win late in the route. Um, from a statistical standpoint, you know, yes, he's only had one year of production, obviously opted out last year, but what a year it was. You know, mm-hmm. this is a guy that forced Justin Jefferson into the slot in that phenomenal offense. And we've already seen what Justin Jefferson can do in the NFL. So, yeah, I'm so excited to see him. Um, I, I've i not introduced rookies into my kind of overall dynasty ranking yet. I was talking with Kev of the Fancy Wildcard. I think I'm, I'm eyeing up sort of that 10 to 12 spot, if I'm being honest, um, as long as he's a top 10 pick. Um, if he's not a top 10 pick, it'll knock him down a bit. But, yeah. I'm I'm all in on Jamar Chase to be honest. So I'll tell you, I think that the top ten pick is is pretty much rock solid. I I don't see him dropping past number six. To be honest, I think that's probably his base. So I'm not worried about him falling in the top ten. What's interesting is when you look at where I slotted him, he is in pretty good company with T. Higgins, Michael Thomas, and Chris Godwin. And with Godwin going back to the Bucks, which is not a spot that I love for him he certainly has some flexibility in that tier. So I don't think we're that far off. When I look at the tier that I put him in, it's more of that 12 to 16 tier. So landing spot dependent, he could easily jump up into that number 12 rule for me as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's all, all, I've got all the names around him that you said as well. Mm-hmm. So for me, this next coming up, there's quite a big tier break to the, I guess, the, the group um, in the next. My, my wide receiver two at the moment um, I'll be honest, he's one of my favourite prospects in the draft. Um, I think he's, you know, he's got a phenomenal analytical profile. He has performed fantastically when he was sharing a, an offence with Tyler Johnson, um, and that's Rashad Bateman. So what, what do you kind of think of, of Bateman as a prospect? So Bateman, to me, coming in this tier of the guys we're going to talk about, and I, I don't have him at number two, I have him at number three, but obviously we're not that far off. We're splitting hairs there. Uh, he has the least amount of concerns in terms of this tier two grouping, right? Uh, 6'2", 210. He looks like he has the skills to be a high-end wide receiver two, low-end one. What I love about him is he has that jab step and a knack for finding open areas. So what you'll see when you're watching Bateman play is he'll almost lull the cornerback to sleep if he's doing a drag route, like if he's coming across the middle. He'll almost run at half speed and just let the play develop. It's almost like watching Le'Veon Bell wing for a hole to open. If you remember, you know, peak Le'Veon Bell, he has that patience that I love. But if he's looking to drive a cornerback back, he has a really nice jab step when he's running that dig route that will get the cornerback leaning backwards, he'll get them to turn his turn their hips and then he's money in the bank. So watching the way that he plays, it's very rare that you see a cornerback like right on this guy, like his bread and butter is separation. Like I haven't seen before finding holes in the zone. So he excels at that better than most of the prospects I've seen in this particular tier. And I think right now, when you look at kind of when you're investing a draft pick, you're not putting a ton of risk when you have Rashad Bateman, like he's a guy who's going to come in and honestly have a floor 
of like a Marvin Jones, who has been a player that you've had in your lineup for what, 10 years now. I mean, and I don't know if he has, what I don't know about Bateman is does he have that elite level ceiling? Like he looks like one of those guys that would probably, I'm putting him in around 25 for my dynasty wide receivers. When I look at my rankings and I think he just lives there. Like, I don't know that he's a guy who's going to climb into that top 15 ranking because what I don't see from him is an elite skill in particular. Like, he's skillful, but I don't see something like we talked about with Chase with the stop-start, with the body control. Like, what I see from Bateman is a very good solid wide receiver. So not somebody that I tend to get amped about that I think is going to be a league winner, but I think he's a guy as your fantasy wide receiver too. You're going to be pretty happy with like, he's going to put up solid numbers and have a solid career. And that's kind of how I would sum up Bateman is I don't see anything that makes me think that he's going to jump into that elite level. I think he's going to be a very solid player, couple pro bowlers, you know, thousand to 1100 yards, seven to eight touchdown type seasons. I just don't see him turning into like a Devontae Adams type player. I think he'll be a tear down from that. But given a rookie that you can slot in and feel comfortable because of that elite, that high level floor, I like him at this level because again, these prospects all have a ton of risk. I don't think you'd be wasting a draft pick on Rondell Moore, uh, excuse me, Rashad Bateman. I just don't think he's a guy that you're going to regret drafting. But I also don't think that he's going to have this huge ascension in the wide receiver rankings. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, you've hit the nail on the head for me there. It's in terms of projection, I'm not having to project him into the next level, having to change. Oh, will he be able to adjust to this? Will he fit in the right situation? I think wherever he lands, wherever he goes, he's going to be able to fit in and you, you can carve out a nice role. He's going to be, you know, uh, 80 to 100 target guy, probably as a rookie. And I'm very comfortable with that. At the end of the day, if I'm getting, if I'm spending a, a mid to late first on a wide receiver and I'm getting a guy that's going to be around that wide receiver two, wide receiver three range for the next five years, I'm pretty delighted. And I think that, yeah, he, he's not got that elite speed. And I think for me, that that is kind of my one question. I think if he had that elite speed and I felt that he could, yeah, corners that he's going to go over the top and I think that's that's the one thing that he's lacking mm-hmm. um, but as you said I'm, I'm very happy with where I think he's going to kind of settle in at the next level yeah I think our, our goal would be when you're looking at Bateman like if, if you were to pick up Bateman let's say in a pre-draft uh, pre-NFL draft rookie draft and you had him on your team I'm actually in one where I think he might end up on my squad right now I'm trying to wait till the end of that uh, round, see if I grab them. I think our high end here is what we could potentially be looking for is a Terry McLaurin situation where realistically he's thrust into a high volume. Like you said, 80 to 100 as a rookie. I'm banking on regardless of where he lands. But I think his ceiling, if you talk about, you know, what could he reach? It's that Terry McLaurin like forced into a 130, 140 target role. And getting his numbers that way, I think that's about, you know, the biggest reach I can put for him. But there are some spots available where he could land there and have that type of volume. And if he did, then you'd be looking at possibly like a dynasty wide receiver 15. But 
I just can't bet on that right now. You kind of have to bet the field because there's maybe two or three of those spots available. Uh, so I'm going to lean more towards he'll be the second option in an offense and have a really solid, nice wide receiver 2020 type career. Yeah. So um, so moving on to my wide receiver, I think he's your wide receiver too, and that's Devonta Smith, the, uh, the obviously the Heisman winner. So what? So talk to me about Devonta Smith. Oh, man. So Devonta Smith, if he had the weight, uh, we would be talking about him with Chase. He is as clean of a wide receiver as you were going to see in this draft. Like, he is as smooth as it gets. He goes up and gets the ball. Like, he does everything well. He's just got the tiniest calves I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, So that's really what pushes Smith down to tier two for me. But in terms of he does have the height, obviously he's playing at six one. He's looking like he could be a top end option for a lower team, or at least the highest end wide receiver two we might see, which is going to slot him in about wide receiver 20 in my dynasty rankings. Uh, think of like, uh, you know, a dollar for dollar trade with a Brandon Ayuk. Like that's really what I see Smith being. But if you look at him and if you could somehow take his film and stretch his body to where you had a 200 pound frame, I'm not sure you're going to find many holes. And this guy still produced in an offense that has had nothing but talent. You're talking Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddell, and Smith is still putting up numbers. Now you hear people argue, would Devonta Smith won the Heisman if, if Waddle was healthy all year? I mean, that that's a hard thing to project, right? But the fact is the guy did, he put up numbers. He showed he could be a number one, and he honestly put up numbers when people knew where the ball was going. Obviously, in the previous year, they were putting up numbers all together in this massive system where everybody was eating. But when he became the no doubt top option, he still put up numbers and he put up numbers when it counted, obviously, in the big games as well. So I love Devonta Smith. The only pause I have that drops him from tier one to tier two is that size. But otherwise, there's not a part of his game that I look at and I'm like, oh, man, that is a massive problem. I just see a very clean crisp wide receiver and I love the kids game yeah Jane Hurts described him as smooth criminal said he's the smoothest receiver he's ever seen I think to me that sums it up perfectly because that is him in a nutshell he is a fantastic route runner and he's just smooth throughout the entire route just just no kind of quirks no nothing just fantastic I, I hear you with the weight question and I think that that's you know certainly a, a common concern um i'll be honest a month ago i was fully in with you and i was i was all out on him because of his you know i know there's a lot on twitter about bmi and things like that and basically over the last month i've really dived into it quite quite a lot and the truth is is that weight actually if you if you analyze it bmi and weight doesn't actually necessarily reflect on kind of future performance yes there are there is no um, kind of comparison in terms of there is no receiver in the NFL that has been over six foot tall, 175 pounds, and and ha- produced like Devonta Smith is in did in college. So he is a one of one. But for me, I think if he was that weight and he played like it on the field, I'd have more concerns. But he's more than willing to to go out and block. He's he's very good 
at the, the, the kind of tackle point, I think that he actually plays a lot stronger than his weight would suggest. So it's, it's less of a concern for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little bit concerned and I get that he was, you know, in a, a fantastically um, kind of talented wide receiving core, but he, he didn't produce really as a, a kind of a freshman and a sophomore. And he, you know, we talk about breakout age. He obviously didn't break out until 20, which, which is a little bit of a concern for me. Um, but you know, you've just got to look at it last year. He, he hit almost a 40% market share in terms of yards. His yards per team attempt was four and a half. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal from a statistical standpoint. Um, but I just don't think he's quite a complete a prospect for me as Chase, which is why he's in that sort of tier two. So let, let's talk about both of those points because I, I absolutely despise uh, via my Twitter. It's just not my thing. It's literally like that little bit of you know analytics are saying he is an outlier that gives me pause uh, I'm still putting him at like I said wide receiver 21 in my dynasty rankings so there's no way that I'm out on him like some people are thrown into the wolves in terms of the breakout age I had actually tweeted out while I was doing uh, a lot of the studies on the film is that the one thing that stuck out to me and I was watching all the wide receivers and one thing popped off the screen more than anything. And that is how much more talented Jerry Judy is than I remember. Uh, He was so outstanding and obviously got stuck with a bad lot in Denver with Sutton going down with Locke not being able to get him the ball. Uh, Highest percentage of uncatchable targets. Uh, A lot went wrong with Jerry Judy, but when you look at what he was doing at Alabama in, in 2019, he was so good and so talented that it only left so much for Smith. So I'm not so worried about the breakout age because that receiving core, there was just so many weapons there that I I don't see a a concern of anybody falling back by the wayside when you're talking about those four guys all fighting for targets with Judy obviously being the alpha. So what that tells you is two things. Number one, I'm not worried about Tamonte Smith. Number two, go get Jerry Judy. Because if they get him a quarterback, he is going to explode. Of anybody that I watched film on, he popped the most for me in all of these studies. And that includes Jamar Chase. Jerry Judy was just that guy. Uh, I think that if you had put Devonta Smith on any other team, like we were talking about Bateman, right? Like what does Devonta Smith do in that offense? Getting that many targets against that competition, I, I think you would have seen an earlier breakout age. So I'm not so concerned with that just because I can't remember a foursome of talent at the college level like Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddell, and Devonta Smith all at one time. So I don't knock him too much for that target share early on in his career just because there were so many miles to feed at that point. Yeah, absolutely. How how many college offenses are going to have four? What was it? Top top twenty picks, probably. Yeah. In, it's, it's, it's just wild, unheard right? of, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so the next wide receiver, I'll be honest. This is the receiver that I've had the hardest time ranking because, mm-hmm. from a, a film perspective, his film is mind blowing. From a statistical perspective, he had probably the best freshman year I think I can remember in terms of production. But he's basically not really played for two years, um, and that's Rondell Moore. So where where are you at with him? Rondell Moore is so puzzling to me. So when I look at Rondell Moore, and as I told you, I'm team big wide receiver. I'm very concerned with what I see as a very explosive athlete. 
but so much of his production was motion, bubble screens, swing passes, where they almost used him like an H-back. Going through the film with Rondell Moore, you don't see very many deep passes. You don't see a ton of deep targets. You see a guy that they're using, and uh, you know it's weird. I'm going to reference this guy a lot because of this particular class and, and their skill set in IUD, both Samuel type usage. Everything is behind the line of scrimmage and almost using them like he's a punt returner, like get him the ball where there's no one right in his face and see what he can do. Rondell Moore's landing spot will be huge, possibly bigger than any other prospect. He is strong and he's shifty and he's definitely a polished individual. Like we're going to get to Tutu and and Waddle uh, who are going to be the same type of freakish athletes. I, I think that Moore is the most polished and honestly the most strong lower half that I've seen of any of those guys, but where he did his work scares me. It was not a traditional wide receiver skill set. So while his numbers look solid and like you said, his athleticism screams off the page, like, look at how good this guy is. It wasn't done with your standard route running. It wasn't done with like an X type receiver. He was very much a guy that they were creating an offense for, as opposed to fitting into a pro style offense. Yeah. So the question becomes, how do you use this guy? Who grabs him? How do they use him? And do they know what to do with the weapon like this? And uh, Lynn Bowden was the perfect example. When he went to Vegas, they didn't know what to do with him. I was so thrilled when he went to Miami because I knew Vegas was going to ruin this guy. Who's going to get Rondell more? And are they going to use what is more of an offensive weapon than a wide receiver properly? And if they do, sky's the limit. If they try to force him into a standard role, I just don't know if he's that player. Yeah, I, you've you've basically you know repeated essentially what I've got written down here in my notes in terms of I say elite separation skills, fantastic footwork, but not a route runner. In terms of he can get open, he has got some of the, his first step is ph- phenomenal. His ability with the ball in his hands is phenomenal, but I'm not convinced that he's actually going to be able to come into the NFL and run a complete route tree. Because he, he, as you said, he wasn't really asked to do it in college, um, and I think that's why I'm, I've struggled with where to put him, basically all, all over the last couple of months. Because I could completely see him going into the NFL if he's going to be used out of primarily slot role in a team that's going to feature him and get that 120 targets and be a number one target leader in an offense and be phenomenal. But I can also see him going offense that doesn't really want to use him tries to use him something like the Rams did with Tavon Austin where instead of feeding him the ball in space they're trying to manufacture touches and it, it just never quite feels natural and then he's just wasted and, and never going to produce as a kind of a, a fancy relevant wide receiver so yeah I'm, I'm really struggling I think for me draft capital is going to say a lot I think if an NFL team's good, willing to go out and spend a first round pick on him, and you know they're basically going to say we're going to find a role and we're going to build our offense to incorporate him, then I'll be more comfortable swinging for him. But if he drifts into day two, I'm, I'm probably going to be less keen and, and probably start saying I'm out. I'll, I'll be shocked if he is a first round pick. 
I, I would honestly be floored by that. When you look at not only the talent that we have in this draft, the depth that we have in this draft, but also who's picking in the late rounds and what their needs are. I think he is going to drift to day two. However, I think that might work out well for him if he lands in the right spot. Yeah, so it's I, all going to come down to who's his coach. That's what's going to matter to me more than anything else with Rondell Moore. Usually you're talking about, oh, who's in front of him? Like who's who's the guy in front of him? I don't care about that nearly as much as who the coach is and what style offense they run. Yeah, team, team needs a plan for him. You can't, you can't just slot him in as your, you know, your Z receiver because it's, it's, he's just not that. He is a unique person. Now, I'm, I'm getting excited. I'm getting pumped because we moved to tier three. Um, now, this is my guy. I'll be honest. So it's Elijah Moore. Talk to me. What what you make of Elijah Moore? Oh man! So I have Elijah Moore. I have one more person in tier two. That we'll talk about in a minute. But Elijah Moore, my goodness, everything but size, right? Everything but size. The route running, the explosive playmaking. He, the comps I'm seeing, and and I, I wish I could come up with my own comps that were better, but I can't. Uh, this is Randall Cobb. I mean, that's that's who it is. And and for all you young people listening that see the Texans version of Randall Cobb, watch the Packers version of Randall Cobb because that was a bad man. That was a stud, absolute monster. I, I do see some Doug Baldwin in this game. Just that PPR monster right out of the gate. If you have him on a team who's going to get him the ball, this kid is going to make catches, put up numbers. I love the hands. I love the skill. I don't want to go too deep into him because I know how excited you are to talk about him. But my goodness, this kid is everything you could possibly want, except he's 5'9". <laughs> I mean, if he wasn't, sky's the limit. But watching Elijah Moore's tape, we just talked about Rondell Moore. I'll tell you what, we're going to be flipping a coin on those two if the situations don't match up perfectly. I think Elijah Moore is that good. I, I do believe he's that good of a play. I, again, he's not going to get first-round capital. Let's just prep ourselves for that. <laughs> but I'll tell breaking you. breaking my heart. Like, it's, going to have, it's not going to happen. He's going to be a, a day-two guy, which is fine. But I think when you look at Rondell Moore and Elijah Moore, if I like – the situation even slightly better for Elijah Moore. I'm probably going to flip the two. That's how close they are. I just see very similar skill sets, but man, this kid is just a solid, solid football player. I, I love Elijah Moore. Yeah. I mean, he was probably under, under the radar for me two months ago. Yes. Looking at kind of my process always looks statistical profile first and then go and look at the film. And I thought, well, yeah, okay. You know, coming out of a, a decent college in terms of we've seen some some fantastic receivers come out of there in the last few years. Um, you know, decent breakout age, decent market share, you know, some decent stats. And then I plugged on the film and my God, he's just incredible. He he wins versus man. He wins versus zone. You know, his ability to manipulate zone coverage in order to, he doesn't just sit in a zone, wait for the ball. He's, he's able to essentially adjust and he'll sometimes drop deeper and, and sort of manipulate those zones to enable to find those soft spots. I think he is going to be absolutely wherever he goes, his quarterback's best friend because you know whenever it gets tight, whenever it's you know third down, he's going to be able to win and get open immediately because his first step is phenomenal. 
I have a I do have a concern that he is awful against press coverage. You know, it comes you'd expect it from a guy being five nine, one eighty five. I think that in the NFL that will be schemed up for him. I don't think we're going to see him lined up on his own that wide, expecting to go up and beat a corner one on one in press coverage. He's going to be used out of the slot. He's going to be used in those tight bunch formations. He's going to be used in motion a lot, and I think that that will enable him to get that free release that means that he's going to be able to essentially be a true target monster. I don't see any situation where he, he's not just going to be fed targets because he's going to be hoping all the time. Um, and I think that, yes, we're talking about him as a receiver, but for me, that's only half of it because he's phenomenal. He gets open. He can manipulate defences to get open. But then he gets the ball in his hands and he is absolutely, he's, you know, you made the Randall Cobb comparison and I love it because the thing that made Randall Cobb so great was when he first broke onto the scene with Packers, he was being used as a return. He was being used in the run game. He's being used all over the place. And, and to me, that's Elijah Moore. He is a running back with the ball in his hands. He has mm-hmm. got such good footwork and lateral ability that no tackler is comfortable. You know, he, despite his size, he wins at the tackle point because he's able to set up the defender to be off balance from day one. And he's just going to be able to make guys miss at the next level. I can guarantee you now we're going to see one or two occasions on film next year where someone's got him lined up. You see the corner come down on a screen pass, something got him lined up. You think, oh, the receiver's going to get drilled here. And the corner's just going to fly past him and end up tackling air because he's shot around him. I just think he's phenomenal. And if you're in any of my leagues, I hope you're not listening because early <laughs> early second round, I'm all over Elijah Moore at the moment. I think that the best thing about this class is that when you talk about these small wide receivers, you hit the nail on the head that you can't get squared up at this size and survive in D1 football. You're 5'9", 185. If you're getting hit square in the mouth every play, you're making it three weeks at best, right? So these guys have learned this shiftiness that is amazing. So yeah, again, when you talk about Elijah Moore, you had mentioned it, it has to be motion. You have to get it so he's not squared up. Like if he lines up square with Stephon Gilmore, that dude ain't making it one yard. And we both know that. Like he is going to be stymied at the line of scrimmage. So again, you need to make sure that you're getting him the ball the right way, getting it to him in space and then letting him do his thing and he'll explode. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I think for me, comparing Elijah Moore and Rondell Moore, I think Rondell Moore's a better athlete, and I think he's more Mm. explosive. But I think Elijah Moore's a little bit more kind of nuanced and and better at the the kind of finer things. And I think that he could transition better to the NFL. But I think for me, Rondell Moore's just got that, because of that athleticism, because of that kind of freak score, essentially. I think his ceiling's a little bit higher. Oh, yeah. um, no, no doubt. He, that is um, Elijah Moore is a polished football player, but yeah. Rondell Moore, and you saw it with the, even the strength he has. I mean, he's a tank for his size. So Yeah. I've seen, I've seen the squat numbers that fly around for Rondell Moore. <laughs> it, is, it is off the shade. Um, so diving now down into, so we're into our, well, my tier four. Um, so heading up my tier four. So I've got Tyler Wallace. Um, so for me, he's, he's solid, just unspectacular. What what do you think of him? Uh, I mean, that's really the perfect way to explain him, isn't it? <laughs> and when I look at the when I look at the box scores, you want to love 
Kylan Walls. I mean, averages 100 yards a game three years in a row. Like, everything looks the way it's supposed to when you go box score watching. Uh, and that's why we always say there's more to the game, right? Like, there, there's more to the game than just box score watching. And when I watch him play, I see hands. I mean, I, I see really good hands that bring up a solid floor, which we've talked about. Floor is important because it'll keep them on the field. But I do see him getting bullied at the line of scrimmage, and that scares me. Like when I see a player who's getting lit up at the line of scrimmage, that concerns me. Consistency is good, but the ceiling is so low. Like what does he do well other than catch the ball when it's thrown to him? So you're talking contested catches, but when you get up against stronger cornerbacks and you're getting, you know, punched in the mouth every play, are you going to get open enough? Is he going to create enough separation that the team is going to go to him? He played on an offense where they would feed him despite what he had for separation. They would give him the ball and expect him to go get that. What offense do you see Tylen Wallace landing on? that that's going to be the case. They're, they're just going to go to a different option because no one is taking Wallace as their wide receiver one. I hope we both agree with that. Like he 100%. is a complimentary piece. So I'm hoping that he gets the volume he needs. And I love the fact that the kid balled day in and day out. Like he didn't have bad games from what I saw. I just didn't see anything that popped on film that made me think, I love this kid. The numbers look great. Like the numbers do, like I said, 100 yards, three years in a row. Um, shout out to Master June, who did a really nice thread on Tylen Wallace and his consistency. It was spectacular thread. And honestly, he's a great follow anyway. But when I watched the film, I, I just didn't fall in love. Like I, I wanted to, like I saw the numbers. And I'm like, oh, let me see what this kid has and what he has his hands but he doesn't have burner speed. He doesn't have great separation. I didn't see that outstanding, like the dropping of the hips that you want to see when someone is going into a route, that change of pace ability, none of that. And maybe this is me flawed as someone watching film, but nothing that I saw excited me, like nothing I saw that I pointed at and said, Oh, look at that. That is what makes Tylen Wallace unique. Didn't, didn't see any of that, and, and I wanted to. I went in wanting to love this guy, and I, I just can't. He's just he's actually lower, I think, for me than you because I carried him all the way down to Tier 4, um, and we haven't even gotten to two of the guys that I have like, the <laughs> at this point. So Yeah, um, yeah we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to those in a minute. I think uh, people can probably guess the two that we're, we're hinting at. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's it is that I, I like him because, you know, he's coming from a college that we've seen produce wide receivers to the NFL. We, you know, he, he's put up good numbers. He's, he's solid. I don't think he's going to disappoint. I know what he is. I think he's going to be a good complimentary, you know, a, a, probably a below average two, a, an above average three. I think he's, he's going to settle in at that sort of wide receiver four, wide receiver five mark. I think, from a fancy standpoint, he's just going to produce for you. You're never going to feel great about having him in your flex, but he's never going to, you know, shoot you in the foot and, and kind of cost you a game. Um, 
But yeah, as you said, it's I've, I've literally in my notes I've just said very solid, but for me doesn't possess, possess an elite trait, and I think that sums it up perfectly. He's, he's very good, you know, he does produce, but that ceiling is complete cap. Sure. So I mean, if he doesn't get the volume, then I think we know what that becomes, which is a bye week fill in guy that most likely flops in and out of the waiver wire, ends up as a throw and as a trade. He's, and I just think that, and we were talking about this earlier when we talked about my overall feeling on this class. I think that the 207, 208 in Superflex Leagues, which is where you're going to end up looking at it, Tylen Wallace, I think you can probably do better in trading for a veteran. That, that's my guess. Rookie hype gets big. People get excited about possibilities. I think you could take that pick and turn it into something with more upside than you're getting. Uh, I think that realistically, when you look at some of the uh, less exciting receivers from last year, uh, Henry Ruggs, obviously, who didn't produce, Denzel Mims, even Brian Edwards, like these are guys that I think I would probably take a dollar for dollar trade of Tylen Wallace because I just think that what I saw from them, despite a disappointing first year, is a more talented wide receiver. Uh, so those are guys that at least with rugs, you know, you have elite speed, uh, not on a great team. That situation can change. Obviously his hands are questionable at best, but at least you have an elite trait. And that's what I look for is Henry rugs could explode and be far greater than Tylen Wallace. Uh, even though his floor is lower, if I'm looking for a bench guy, which is what I think the tier we're entering right now, Give me somebody who might really appreciate in value and blow up as opposed to somebody who you kind of know what he is. I mean, Tylen Wallace is like the Kirk Cousins of wide receivers, right? Like, you know what he is. He's good enough, but you don't exactly feel thrilled when you leave and you're like, hey, look, you know, look what I have. It's just decent. That's the best yeah. I can explain. And I think for me, this is, you know, I'll, I'll talk about it in, in April when we break down sort of rookie draft strategy. And for me, this is the point at which I'm just not touching receivers in drafts. Because for that point you hit there, is I want a guy at this point that realistically, I'm probably never going to rely on them as a starter. I'm probably not going to need them. But I want that blow up potential. And at this point in the draft, that is, a, to me, a running back. I would much rather take you know, a, a Tuba Hubbard or somebody like that, that chances mm-hmm. are, you know, 80% of the time, he's probably giving you nothing at the next level. But that 20% that he gets a good landing spot, hits in, in his rookie season, his price is going to skyrocket. And yep. that's where, as you said, Tylen Wallace, he's probably going to come in. He'll probably stick around in the NFL for, you know, eight years, be a, you know, a, a decent NFL performer. But from a fantasy perspective, he's, he's never going to be exciting, is he? Yeah, no, I, I think uh, the name that I have that I've been seeing in drafts, I've been doing a lot of mocks, as you know. The name that I've been going after, and, and you're pretty close to where I like, uh, Jamar Jefferson's the guy I've been taking in most of those spots when the opportunity to draft Tyler Wallace arises. It's been Jamar Jefferson, uh, Brevin Jordan, and Pat Fryermuth have been the three names that normally I tend to lean towards over Tylen Wallace to give you an idea of kind of where I'm seeing things. That's about the grouping that you see him going in. And I tend to lean more to the tight end and running back. Uh, like you said, and Chuba would definitely be in that group as well over a, a Wallace at wide receiver. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I'm absolutely a little bit higher on Jamal Jefferson. He's my running back five at the moment. So I'm, 
I'm quite happy taking him sort of yeah early, early earlier than that. Moment, so. He's I'm, he's been going to 208 for me, which is about where I'm seeing Wallace, which I love. Can, I love the value. I'm conscious we're in a league together, Mike, so I need to go and have a look what draft picks I've got before <laughs> I tell you where I'm taking everybody. Well, I have 112 <laughs> and 201, so good luck, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so the next receiver. Um, so again, uh, you know, it's the same theme. A very productive receiver, a very you know solid, but for me, again, spectacular, and that's Amon Ross and Brown. So, what what do you think of him? Uh, blah. I mean, <laughs> honestly, good size and body control. The separation's not there. I mean, he made his money on contested catches. Very good player, but much like Wallace, show me something that wows me. Show me something that makes me think that this kid is going to be a player. And honestly, if everyone wasn't so dang short in this draft, uh, you wouldn't even really be talking about this guy. He is just a, you know, blue collar, go get the ball. And to be clear, I love him on my NFL team. We're talking fantasy. Uh, Brown is, is a great player for your NFL team, just like Wallace is. He's a guy who's going to show up and get the job done. Like I like him as a football player. So I always like to make sure we separate the two. I think he's going to be a very good football player. I just don't think that his skill set is going to be one that is going to really explode from a fantasy perspective. And unfortunately for him, that's what we do here as we talk (laughs) fantasy. Uh, So as a Patriots fan, I would love uh, Brown to be on that team. Like I I would absolutely love, I'm on Ross St. Brown is like the, NFL player that I love, like they get dirty, get it done, you know, go get the ball when it's thrown to you type player. I think he'll turn out to be what some people thought Nikhil Harry might be like a strong to the ball type player, but I just don't see elite skills. Like when, when I look at him on Ross St. Brown, like I just don't see a guy who gives me something that makes me think there's more coming that makes me think, Oh, well at college, he did this, but once you get him a pro quarterback with that skill set, watch the rocket ship take off. So I actually have him considerably lower than you. I think he comes in at number nine for me and wide receivers. And even then uh, I'm probably going to end up dropping him more to like 10, 11 or 12 when it's all said and done. I, I just don't see the production that I'm looking for from St. Brown. Yeah. I think for me, I, I don't know what he's going to be at the next level. This is a guy that's mainly played out of the slot in college, has mainly, you know, produced well in college, but he's, as you, you, drop, you kind of hinted to it, he's not an elite separator. And I think to play in the slot and be that kind of chain mover, you've got to be an elite separator. At six foot one, 200 pounds, is he going to transition to the outside? I don't know. But... I, I don't want to really be drafting a guy that I'm basically saying I don't know what he's going to be at the next level. And yes, a lot of it, you know, will come down to draft capital. I think again, it depends if an NFL team sees him as a particular type and, and are going to slot him in. Maybe, maybe, but I just don't know exactly what he's going to be at the next level, and that scares me. Yeah, no, I I agree, and that's really where the problem is, right? is when you look at St. Brown, like he 
he's not good enough of an athlete to be a slot receiver. Like when you're talking to slot receiver, we, we had hinted on the guys that we're looking for, get him the ball and watch him blow up. Yeah. That's not him. You're not looking for a solid catch the ball. Those are your outside receivers that are going to be your, you know, eight catches for 75 yards. When you get to a slot guy that you're looking for in the NFL, you're looking for someone who can take it to the house, someone who can, you know, take that bubble screen and just go off with it. And he's going to get seven yards on it. I mean, that that's just who and what he is. So I'm not high on St. Brown. I'm just it's just not my caliber of guy. Uh, and I'm with you. I just don't know what he becomes in the NFL. I think it's a very solid football player, but not somewhere we can be a fantasy star. Yeah. So back to back to more exciting players. Um, this is a guy that I think I'm probably higher on than pretty much everybody else in the world, perhaps. Um, and that's Tutu Atwell. So I, I'm guessing, Mike, you're probably not as high as I am. <laughs> so it's not that I'm not as high as you. Let, let's talk about the caveat here. <laughs> Juju Atwell is, is an athlete, man. He is. He is an athlete. So I see what you see. Uh, so I'm not lower on him in that respect. What I do see is a project, though. And what I do see is somebody that I tend to forego in the draft or two for seasoning. I think Tutu Atwell is the type of player that ends up on your waiver wire in your standard home leagues, maybe not in the league that you and I are in. I'm not expecting you to drop Tutu because I know you're going to get him, not me. (laughs) (laughs) But in your standard kind of home league, uh, thinner benches, maybe, you know, not as many slots available. He's a guy who ends up on the waiver wire week four. And he is a guy who either in week 15, or in year two becomes what you were hoping for. So the reason why I'm not high on Atwell is I'm always looking for that year one burst. I'm a day trader. I literally flipped half my head. You know, I flipped half <laughs> my roster on the regular. So what I'm looking for is who can I cash in on early? Who can I make a deal with early to bring in somebody that has more long-term value? So while I might not be as high as you on draft time, you can be sure that Atwell is going to be a either a deadline or an off-season deal I'm looking to make, a diamond-in-the-rough type player. So what I'm most worried about with Tutu Atwell has nothing to do with athletic profile. It has everything to do with year one production. And I think he's going to drive coaches a little nuts because he's not that tactician. He's not that precise route runner. He is a freak athlete that literally explodes when he gets the ball. And I'm hoping for the best to be able to grab him gear two. If you remember like a Tyreek Hill, for example, you could get him for peanuts in his first year. And then all of a sudden, once they got him locked into here's what you do for a living, he exploded. Um, I see Chuchu Atwell as that type of player. And someone that that's why I tend to forego in year one of the draft, because I think when you look at even those kind of plotter type running backs, the Stevensons, for example, I think will put up a better year one stat line than Atwell would, where you could then trade Stevenson and get Atwell plus from an inpatient owner. So that's how I play that particular athlete. Um, But yeah, no, I see what you see in terms of athleticism. It's off the charts. Yeah, I think... The thing that appeals to me about Tutu is that you normally see these smaller elite guys that are, you know, blazing fast, fantastic, the, the ball in the hands. They sort of 
fall into one of two categories of they're either an absolute burner who can only go deep and and cat literally screens and go deep and that is it or you've got them that they can just do the kind of the short quick quick burst stuff you know your zigs your your slants your kind of three to five yard stem routes but for me you can do it all i think he's one of these rare people that is able to win at all three phases of the, the kind of the field. And I think that his not only pure kind of speed, but his agility is going to absolutely terrify defences. And I think that he is so unique in terms of his size and the way he plays. I can't see many teams going to have corners that can keep up with him in man coverage. And I don't think you're going to have many corners that are going to be able to get into position to manipulate him in terms of the physicality side, because we talked about the same with Elijah Moore. You know, you can scheme up that release. And I think once he's in the open field, I don't think people can can get their hands on him. And I think, yes, I'm 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 don't get me wrong, I'm hugely projecting here. I'm not expecting, you know, that he's going to come in week one and be a stud. But I just think that, that that ceiling, you know, it seems everybody's chasing after the next Tyreek Hill. But that, that, that for me, is too to outward feeling. All right. Well, you were close. You only missed it by one person. Uh, so if you want to talk about the next guy, I am shocked that everything you said about Tutu Atwell doesn't apply in then some to the next wide receiver we have. So <laughs> while I love your enthusiasm, I am going to say roughly the same types of things for uh, the next guy on the list. So you want to go ahead and introduce him? So, so the next guy is Jalen Waddle. Okay. What I would like to say is at the moment, Jalen Waddle is my wide receiver nine. This is my kind of pre-draft rankings. If, and let's be honest, when he gets first round and, and probably top 15 draft capital, he will shoot up to tier three alongside Elijah Moore. Okay. I want to caveat that. But <laughs> at the moment, I see Jalen Waddle, and don't get me wrong, I see that incredible flash plays. I see those incredible kind of, you know, let's be honest, he's he's phenomenal. But I don't necessarily see the level of production that I've got from someone like a tutor. And that scares me. Sure. And I understand that. And I think part of when I look at Jalen Waddell as projecting what would have happened if it wasn't for the foot injury, obviously, I mean, having to miss how much of the season. But when you watch the games that he did play, Man, you want to talk about popping off the screen. I mean, this guy has a gear like I've never seen. It was almost like he was toying with people. And then he decided to run and it was game over. Like, I've never seen a player with that type of gear shift that you have with Jalen Waddell. He is an absolute firecracker of a human being. Like, when he takes off, he goes now, I would have loved to see him, obviously, a full year. Would have loved to see the coaches get their hands on him, play him a little bit more, and see what he did without such a quiet, crowded wide receiver room. But even what you saw in 2019 and what you saw with the flashes that you got in 2020 from an injured player was the most explosive player on the field every single time he stepped on there. Like, there was no question about who was the guy that had the most potential to take them house 
it was Jalen Waddle. So for me, he's my wide receiver five. I do think he gets that draft capital. I actually think there's a very real possibility that he is the first wide receiver taken. Uh, that is an absolute possibility, and I don't see him getting out of the top 20. Uh, so when you compare the draft capital between Tutu Atwell and Jalen Waddle, it will be significant. I think we can both agree on that. Atwell's probably looking more of like a round three or round four pick, whereas Waddle's probably going to be in the top 20. So when you look at a team that is committed, to make this chess piece. And that's what we're going to call him a chess piece because he's not your prototypical wide receiver. And we're saying that a lot in this podcast, but it's true. These aren't typical prototype wide receivers. So when you look at a team that has this chess piece, this unique athlete draft capital matters so much because of the egos of the front office, because of what you can expect for a snap share, from somebody who's taken in the top 20 as opposed to someone who's taken as a day three or four pick is going to be significant. Uh, so again, when we just talked about Tutu Atwell with that year one pop, Jalen Waddle has a far greater chance of year one success than Tutu Atwell, just strictly based on the fact of where he's going to land in the NFL draft, which will be, I would bet my reputation on a first round pick. And I think that that gives Jalen Waddle, and we'll get to this in the rapid fire, so not to, you know, steal any thunder here, but but that gives him, to me, by far, the type of athlete he has in the draft capital he gets. He is the ceiling home run guy. And I think, honestly, if Henry Ruggs didn't end up with the Raiders, if Henry Ruggs didn't exist, we would be much higher on Jalen Waddle. And everyone is projecting Henry Ruggs' failures, which is both a case of Henry Ruggs' hands and the offense that he was drafted into. Everybody is now shying away from Jalen Waddle as, as if they're the same person. And that, I think, is a huge mistake. I think Jalen Waddle is a different player than Henry Ruggs, not to mention I think that Henry Ruggs landed in possibly the worst situation he could have in the NFL. Uh, and I don't believe, and someone had asked me, you know, what uh, Chase Vernon asked me, what would be the nightmare scenario for any rookie you're high on? To me, it was Jalen Waddle going to the Raiders. Uh, that would be a complete nightmare. Uh, I just think that he has to have a better situation than Ruggs. And to be quite honest, I think he's a better overall athlete and player than Henry Ruggs is. So I don't like that comparison. I think people are taking fast Alabama wide receiver and equating it to Henry Ruggs' failures. And if Henry Ruggs didn't exist, I think we'd be talking about Jalen Waddle in much more favorable terms in the community. Yeah, absolutely. I guess for me, and, and perhaps this is a question for you, Mike, do you see Waddle getting the volume of touches at the next level that he's going to be able to be an elite fantasy producer? Because yes, when he gets those touches, he's a home run threat every time he touched the ball. But I just don't know if I, I can see him getting eight, ten targets a game. I don't think he's going to be that type of player. And for me, that, that significant caps that ceiling because I don't know if he's ever going to be able to get the volumes needed to be that, that kind of truly elite performer. I, I don't know that he will, but I also think that what you're going to see is a lot of uh, old-school Deshaun Jackson box scores, right? Those three catches for 120 yards and two touchdowns. I, I think you have a chance of him getting you a quick six on special teams as well. I, I think he will be utilized as a returner. I mean, he has a ton of open field skill set. So I, I think it's going to be unique touches, but I think that he can make the most of them. This is absolutely a boom or bust type player. He's not going to get you what, again, we're talking about prototype wide receivers where you're guaranteed those six PPR points just on catches alone. 
No, you're probably going to get three from Jalen Waddle, but you get the ball in his hands four or five times a game. Watch him go. I think you take it to the house, and and I think the more he does that, the more he shows that early, the more you're going to see designs for him, where you're going to see those three or four touches climb to five or six. And I think that's more than enough volume for this type of athlete to make a difference on your team. And again, I think he's the inverse when we talked about with Tylen Wallace and uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, where those guys may get eight targets and may catch six of them for 72 yards and 0.23 touchdowns a game. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, I don't love that type of player because it's waiver wire replaceable. Uh, but what I think you get with Jalen Waddle is a chance for your wide receiver three to win you the week on any given Sunday. The type, I think he, Jalen Waddle, I guess the best way to put it is Jalen Waddle, I believe will be what all of these fools think me cold Harmon is like that. That's kind of the perfect scenario. I think we'd put is that everybody who's pining for me, Cole Hardman, as if they don't have a massive upgrade of me, Cole Hardman and Tyreek Hill on the same dang team. I think what everybody who is pining for me, Cole Hardman, this is actually the player that you wanted is that's Jalen Waddle. I think that's kind of what you're looking at with this type of player. Um, Eight weeks, you're going to be thrilled you have them. Eight weeks, you're going to be miserable you have them. Uh, But for my wide receiver three, give me that potential to win a week over a guy who's just going to give me those bankable six to seven points. Yeah. Yeah, he's, you know, he's the dream best ball player, isn't he? Let's be honest. Absolutely. (laughs) So, uh, so the next guy, so number 10 in my, in my rankings at the moment, that's Terrace Marshall. So the, the fourth best receiver out of uh, out of LSU in the last few years. Um I guess for you, you know, he's six six three, two hundred pounds. So we all know that you're gonna be much higher on him than I am. it's not even that. It's just look at the game before he opted out. Uh what was it like forty two percent target share, hundred yards per game, ten touchdowns. Uh and then obviously you saw what the freshman did after he left, but did nothing before. I mean he was the true alpha on LSU beforehand. Uh, again, I wouldn't say particularly elite, um, but dominant production. Rough quarterback play too. Like when the one thing that you'll notice when you watch the actual tape on Marshall's <laughs> dang throws were five yards, ten yards over his head. It was horrific to watch the quarterback play that he was dealing with and still putting up numbers. I think that he's a very good second option. And again, you're right. Team big wide receiver, 6'3", 200. Uh, I think there's a floor there. I think there's a floor with Marshall. But I also think that he's the type of guy who really, I mean, we were talking about uh, Rashad Bateman, what, 35, 40 minutes ago? And now we're getting to Marshall, who is a very similar player. Uh, maybe not quite the release that you want, maybe not quite that jab step that Bateman has, but I think very similar type player where he finds himself in space, he goes and gets the ball. And again, for me, and maybe it's the novice in me, I see him as an NFL player. He looks like an NFL player. He projects very easily for me as opposed to these other guys where I'm not worried where Marshall lands. So when you talk about a pre-draft ranking, wherever he lands, he's fine. 
I mean, that's who he is. So I'm not worried about an old school coach, new school coach. It doesn't matter. He's safer than these chess pieces. He is a straightforward outside wide receiver. And I think, honestly, you're doing him a little bit of a disservice talking about what he did this year. If you just look at the seven games he played, they were spectacular. The output was amazing. It was something like 740 yards and, and 10 touchdowns in seven games. I mean, what else do you want him to do? And then he called it quits. He was on his way to a massive season for LSU. Yeah, I, I mean, I, and I think, you know, this is part of the thing with, with Jane Waddle as well. I'm probably a little bit lower than I will be once draft capital's taken into to model and things like that. Um, and look, he, he's a five-star five star recruit. That's, that's always worth isn't it. We know that means something to the NFL. And I think that, I guess, for me, I just think that looking at his film, I was underwhelmed. Perhaps it's because every time you watch him on film, for me, there's there's a more talented receiver on the field at the time, whether it be Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase in previous years. And, and I think Keishon Boutte, you know, we're probably going to be talking about him as a potential top 10 pick in two years. I think he is absolutely phenomenal. And that's probably me being a little bit harsh on him and I'm watching film of him. And all I'm thinking is that guy like up on the other side of the field is much better kind of thing. Um, I just think that, the only reason for me he's being talked about as an elite receiver in this class is because of his size. And we've talked about it is a really small class. And I think that if, if you put him in, if, you know, if, if you chucked him in with last year's class, I don't think he would have been in the, the top kind of six or seven. Um, and, and I think that that's what's pushing him up this year is that lack of prototypical X receiver. And I think that he's jumped up and, and being pushed up because of, that lack and and I just think for me I'm not blown away by his film I think he, you know he, he he lacks separation throughout the route I think he's he's average I've got in, in terms of contested opportunities and I just don't I'm not blown away um and I think that yes I'm probably a little bit harsher as I said he'll probably end up around sort of seven in my rankings once I take into account draft capital but I don't think I'll be ending up with a lot of shares come come sort of May time so let, let's talk about the point you just brought up, though, is in this class, he's one of the few that projects to be a prototype X receiver. Well, that's a positive in the fact that when you look at last year's class, any team may have taken, and even the year before is, is probably a better example, any team would have taken a host of receivers whether they had a need at that particular prototype X role or not. They would have taken them just because they're a prototype receiver. They wanted another weapon. Now what happens with Marshall is when you have a team that needs an X receiver, you can see them stretching a little bit for Marshall. And what that tells me is targets and targets equals goodness, right? So in this year, if you're a team that's starved for, for the X role, Marshall's one of the few options you have. So I think you could see him getting a higher than normal draft capital. I agree. Maybe he's not that pop off the page prototype prospect that you want, but he could very well land in a situation that gets him the targets that he needs because they don't have that type of option already on the team. Uh, so that could very much boost his value, not on skill set, but as we're finally, like we talked about with Terry McLaurin, who don't get me wrong, is a, is a very good wide receiver. But I think there are receivers in the NFL that could do more with the targets that McLaurin gets. CeeDee Lamb is the one that, that jumps to mind right now that if you swap those two, 
CeeDee Lamb might be in my top three dynasty receivers, right? I mean, so that matters. You don't need to talk to me about C.D. Lamb. He is, uh, yeah, very, very much team C.D. Lamb on this podcast. I think he's my wide receiver five overall. And, and to be honest, I have to calm down that he's, he's not even higher. I'm, I'm very much believing that he could be the, you know, in a year or two, he could easily be the best receiver in, in the NFL. Um, right, and put him on Washington now, and he could be the best receiver in the NFL next year. I mean, absolutely. that's what I mean by opportunities. So. Yeah. The one, the one thing I guess I'd perhaps take a slight issue with when you're talking about his prototypical X, he's, he's going to walk into targets. To me, mm-hmm. I, I have a real thing that targets are earned, they're not given. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy that at no point through his career has earned a huge target volume. This is a guy that, you know, we, that he, when he was essentially the one wide receiver other than a true freshman lined up opposite him last year, he was earning seven targets a game. And I just don't think that he's shown that propensity to be a true target hog. And, and I worry that if we're projecting him to be a target hog in the NFL in order for him to be fantasy relevant, that's, that's a, a significant step for me personally. Um, but as I said, I'm, I'm probably a little bit lower on him than, than I will be. So I think uh, it was Derek Brown, who I was actually just on the open bar pod with who opened my eyes a little bit to Marshall where I actually put him a little bit higher. He had a great stat about the seven games that Marshall played before he opted out. And I said, he was actually a target hog in producing on those just in the games before he opt out. Now, um, obviously Boutte became the receiver after he left, but when you looked at the target share in those seven games alone, it was actually spectacular what Marshall did. So I don't think that he did anything not to earn them. You're right. He doesn't pop off the page, but I think he showed when he was getting a 40% target share that he was putting up triple digits on the regular. Uh, I, I, again, I see him as we talked about Amon St. Brown and putting him next to Marshall. They're a very similar player that I just think Marshall is, is a better option and and even probably better than Wallace when you look at it the guys we've talked about before I I just think this is a guy who is going to do more with the ball if you get it to him someone I'm a little more excited about now again we've talked about we're at the point in the draft where I'm not overly excited about anybody like I'll I'll make some deals and by the way if anybody wants to give me as, as I've tweeted out Jerry Judy for any of these picks all yours um no worries there but I think this is um, a guy who probably slates a little higher than those two for me, but ends up in that group as solid, not spectacular. I just think he has a little bit more to him. Yeah, absolutely. And then the, the final guy we're going to talk about. Um, so this is, for me, this is the type of player that I just never roster, if I'm being honest. And it's so it's Diami Brown. To me, he's, he's nothing more than a deep threat. I think he is a fantastic deep threat. I think he tracks the ball incredibly well. But I just don't like kind of starting those guys that that need yes can can win you a week with one catch, but you're relying on that one catch in order for them to produce. Yeah, I mean, to me, when you're talking about the number ten wide receiver in a rookie class, we're already down at about that you know early third round pick range, right? And I would challenge you this: Can you go ahead and take that third round pick and trade him for Will Fuller? Because if you can't. 
just take Ivy Brown because it's the same guy. <laughs> it's the same exact player. I have never, and it was Curtis Patrick uh, put out the comp. And again, I, I would love to be original, but in this case, it's too perfect. Like he, he's every bit Will Fuller without the glass hamstrings. And I, I kind of dig that. Now I'm with you. I don't tend to have a ton of Will Fuller because he, he lets you down a lot. But I think this is the type of player that for what you're drafting him at, the spot you're getting him, you're going to get a far greater return. Like I think his value is going to accelerate more than others because he's exciting and because he's going to pop off the page a few times, right? Like think of Sammy Watkins. If he had a Sammy Watkins week one, this kid's (laughs) going to blow up, right? Uh, But Ivy Brown is the type that I think is going to have boomer bust weeks. But what I love about him is your average player looks at the final season results, right? And and that's what always elevates Will Fuller. Uh, To all you Packers fans, block your ears for a minute. Up until last year, that always elevated Aaron Rodgers uh, (laughs) as a guy who would hurt you five or six games out of the year. Uh, But the final season Stats looked great. Uh, Sammy Watkins, who we talked about, would get half of his yardage in week one, uh, but he'd still come out with that 807 stat line that you look at and say, oh, that's cool at this point of the draft. I think Diamond Brown's going to do that. I think he's probably, even early on, is probably going to have three or four games where he's going to pop uh, because that's what he is. He's going to get loose. He is early years to Sean Jackson. He's Will Fuller. And to me... I will take that over these whatever receivers that are are just projected to, um, you know, have a Brian Edwards type season where may not even see the field. You need a big score. This kid's going to be on the field. Get it to him deep. I I like that more than what I'm getting for some of the other guys that we haven't covered. Uh, plain and simple. When you look at a, a Dwayne Eskridge. For example, um, I just would prefer the guy who could pop. So uh, I'm big into this guy. And to be honest, now that I'm even talking to you, 10 might be too low. Uh, (laughs) You know, just kind of thinking it through, I might move him up right below Terrace Marshall and ahead of Wallace and St. Brown. I think I just talked myself into it. Uh, So let's go ahead and move him up to eight. I I just, I like that more than the guy who needs the volume. I, I just don't see many of these rookies get in that volume. And I, I think one of the things that I've seen a lot of discussions on is the wide receiver position in general. And we have to stop talking about wide receiver two, because all of a sudden these wide receiver threes are outstanding, outstanding wideouts because the NFL is getting so flush with talent at that position, where I think a guy with a unique skill set like Diami Brown is going to stand out more than a, a St. Brown or a Wallace might, because there's so many players of that caliber already in the NFL doing what they do and doing it better than they do it, that I think I'm going to start looking for more of the uniqueness, which uh, Diamond Brown with that deep threat can get him on the field. Yeah, he's he's going to have, you know, Djax is, you know, been around for a long time. I think he's probably 12, 13 years into his career and he, he's still yep. going to have a spot on the roster next year because he can get deep because he's got that one neat thing. And Diamond Brown's going to, going to hang around in the NFL because, you know, Everybody, you, you've got a shade of safety over the top because if you stick him one on one with the corner, he's going straight past him. Um, mm-hmm. And any time you've got a receiver on the field that commands two people over the top, you, you know you're winning that numbers advantage. That 
So that concludes, I guess, our, our kind of wide receiver overview. So we're going to dive straight into the, the quick fire round, Mike. So, um, so the wide receiver with the highest ceiling, Jalen Waddle. But yeah, I, I, I guess yeah, hard, hard to disagree. <laughs> as much as I'm not not a Waddle fan, I think if we're painting that sort of once in a blue moon scenario where everything kind of lines up perfectly, he's such a freak athlete that he could be incredible. Wide receiver with the highest floor. So I, I, I strayed away from the obvious answer and uh, I went with Bateman on this. Uh, you know, obviously I think Chase is the guy we both want to talk about, but uh, Bateman's the guy with the highest floor. That's not my top wide receiver. Yeah. And wide receiver that you'd bet your life on. That's Chase. Uh, uh, in this draft class, he's the only one that I'd be willing to risk uh, any <laughs> large sum of money, never mind my life on his <laughs> Chase. Fantastic. And what about, so best player at cost? So obviously you've said you've been doing a lot of mock drafts. So, so where's yeah, this guy going? We covered this. It's Elijah Moore. Uh, Elijah Moore is going mid-second. And I can tell you in the draft that we're in, you're probably not going to see him get past 201. Uh, if I keep that pick. So that's obviously a, a pretty big boost for me. But Elijah Moore is the guy that I, I love as the best player at cost right now. So this is your way of telling me that I've got to trade up and get the 111 if I want Elijah Moore. Or, or you could trade with me, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And then your favorite sleeper within the Let's class. See. That's Sage Surratt. Uh, so to me, the biggest thing that I'm looking at is trying to take advantage of the situation that we have with COVID. And I think people just forget how much this guy produced. Uh, obviously, he's coming in at 6'3". He's a lot more of the prototype wide receiver than what we're seeing in this class. And I'm getting him in the fourth round which I think is almost wildly unfair. I think if he, he had played, you'd be talking about him in the same breath as like a Terrace Marshall, Tylen Wallace type, but you're paying prices where guys are drafting players. They don't even know what their names are. They just happen to be there in ADP. Uh, so I'm not saying go out and get Surratt as a player that I'm necessarily targeting, but in the late third, early fourth, you're not going to find better value than that, which I think is how I tend to encompass a sleeper. I don't want to just give you a name of somebody that's already going 205. Uh, this is a kid you can probably get it, you know, early fourth that could produce that late second type talent. Yeah, absolutely. This is a guy that, to be honest, I completely agree with everything you said. As a, you know, I'm a Georgia fan. I was very excited. Jamie Newman coming across, obviously, that didn't quite work out. But when I was watching the film <laughs> with Jamie Newman, it seemed every time. You know, there was a play being made down the field. It was the rat, and it, it certainly piqued my interest. Shall we say, sort of a year ago when we were were coming into the season. Obviously, you know, with the opt outs and everything like that, it didn't didn't progress. But uh, but yeah, I was very excited about him a year ago. So thank you very much, Mike. It's you know, I've had an absolute ball of a time. It's been fantastic talking through the guys. I hope everybody listen knows knows a little bit more about this class as we're heading into the rookie drafts. Um, so, so where can the people find you, Mark? Where can people see your work? Uh, so you find me at Daddy's Home FF. Honestly, though, if you're looking for great fantasy advice, uh, go to fantasyintervention.com. We have such spectacular writers. Um, you know, we have a whole Debbie group being head up now uh, by Jeff Bell, for whom Jeff Bell tolls. On Twitter, uh, we have Jacob Sanderson, Canada's smartest man and also one of my favorite people. Uh, we just have this spectacular group of folks that honestly make me look good. 
Uh, so I will tell you, like, I have a little bit of fun on Twitter, but if you're actually looking to get smarter and get better, I can recommend every one of our writers. They are so spectacular, so hardworking. Uh, so check those guys out. That's really where you're going to get your good advice. That's awesome. It's, you know, I've, I've been over there several times, had, had a look at the stuff that's getting put up. It's, it's truly fantastic insight, fantastic work, and certainly learning a lot from, from the content that's being produced. So by all means, guys, go and check it out. Well, thank you ever so much for joining us, Mike. It's been an absolute ball. Um, we will be back next week with Ali, um, Ali Kirk, also known as FF Dynasty Grill on Twitter. We'll be breaking down the rookie tight end class. But uh, thank you ever so much, guys, and we will see you again next week. HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.